0: You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama. A church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Alright everyone, welcome. Good to see everybody. uh, just as we're gathering in before we pray, just a, a brief announcement, and then we're running ahead of time. Next week, the 17th, um, as most here, many here would know, we've had a visioning process going on for the past year or so, um, and a lot of that. Now that we're back in the swing of things with Rally Day, is going to hit the ground again. And next week, we're going to have three booklets. Um, kind of the way we're rolling this out um, to, uh, to to all of us as the the, the parish family of the Advent. Um, one will describe sort of the big picture. Another will get into some of the details, Be a, uh, hopefully a very attractive to do on Thursday, a very attractive trifold that will show us um, all of the different tenets, worship, communication, discipleship, ministry development, outreach, and shepherding, and all the ideas that are associated with those. And then most exciting, I think, for several of us, on the 24th, in two weeks from this morning, we're going to start a parish-wide prayer. Um where uh, one of the booklets is very simple, um, but we'll take each of the six tenets that I just mentioned and and take uh, take a week and pray through each one of them, um, where we'll have a scripture and a very short, I mean very short, like 200 words, um, I think was the max, a 200 word devotion and then, a, and then a prayer. And hopefully hundreds of us will be doing that together as we pray for our church as we go forward, and they'll take us all the way to... Um, to the 1st of November. If you're an Alabama fan, that's LSU weekend. I even timed that out, so um, uh, so we can be prayerful right before all that. So um, so that's coming next week. Uh, uh, I'm very excited about all that. There's been a lot of of uh, of time and uh, uh, and prayer gone that's been going into this by by well over 100 people, um, probably upwards of 200 people. So it's fun to see it come to this kind of fruit so just want to bring that out before we get started so let us pray heavenly father you are the giver of all things and the, the lord of lords um be here now um and speak to us teach us um give us the word that you need us to hear um lord let us see you and hear you in jesus name amen, amen. well good morning um this is a. Uh, Rally day, obviously. I think everybody here um, probably knows that, or almost everybody. Um, uh, first of a series, um, six-week series that we're starting up. So come on in, Kate. Um, I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, first of a six-week series, that um, calling Christ coming to you. Um, you know, you can go two ways. You can either coming to Christ, which is, I think, how I usually say it. I think most of us probably say it when we talk about, you know, when did you come to Christ? If you want to give your, quote, testimony or something else like that. But there's an emphasis on the front end of our relative inactivity and in Christ's activity, our passivity and His activity of Christ coming to us um, and going to use as our jumping off points. Mark, the Gospel of Mark. It's not going to be a close study. If you uh, 16 books in, uh, or 16 chapters in Mark, um, we're not by no means going to really dig in and uh, and get a good verse-by-verse uh, verse flavor of Mark, but probably hit some of the high points um, if you're so inclined always with these kind of series to uh, to pick something up. It's one of my favorite Gospels. Of course, you could ask me about Matthew, Luke, or John, too, and I'd probably tell you it's one of my favorite Gospels. Um, but what's good about Mark? Mark is often the one I'll recommend to people if they're coming, coming to the Scripture very fresh. If they're a new Christian, you want to use that kind of language. Why? Because it's the shortest. It's got more verbs than any other Um, of the Gospels. Um, And that's important. Why? Because it really moves. I mean, you act; it's got a very quick pace. Um, The word that's most repeated than any other in Mark um, is how it's usually translated immediately or straight away. And even as we hear it today, just looking at the first 20 verses, Mark 1, 1 through 20, I think it's in there three times. I think it's in the whole Gospel like 45 or 48 times in 16 chapters. So you can do the math. He's always, he's almost breathless is the way it's sometimes described. Mark is breathless to tell his story. To uh, He can't get there soon enough. And what's there? He's really trying to get to the cross. It's a very cross-centered, a big fancy word. Sometimes the, the, the writers will call it cruciform. It just means crucis, you know, cross. It's very cruciform. It's always formed in relationship to the cross. Um, Mark is breathless. To get to something, because he wants to say something about the cross of Christ as the event. Um, And he's always using verbs and the word immediately or straight away or at once. And he just seems to get there so quickly. So much so that it sometimes jars us a little bit. So mark will be our launch point um just looking at the series uh somewhat unusually i'm getting back to something i used to do a lot i'm kind of joking um have had the privilege of being here a long time you know 10 15 years ago when i was the quote young guy on staff and and the internet was just out and there was something called youtube and a lot of people didn't know about it yet um i looked at it a lot more then than i do now and i was the one who would always have a projector i was the one who said we should get a projector because i'm going to use it and it's like what are you going to do with this new toy and all that because I would use a lot of illustrations. I've gotten away from that, but I'm going to go back to it. Um, it's going to be a very illustration-heavy series. Illustrating what? In some ways, I hope to just smear Christ coming to you. I'm going to speak very personally. The second person singular. Not y'all, but Christ coming to you. Um, and just smear stories of grace, of love, of, of acceptance, of... of uh, of finding God in Nazareth. We hear about that a little bit. Um, Where in the most unexpected places, like with an autistic child, or maybe in the midst of a death, or a divorce, or something else that would seem so foreign. Again, Mark's breathlessness to get to the cross, where he says, my God, my God, how could you have forsaken me? How could you have forgotten me now? Where he seems most absent. But that's where we would say, that's where Mark would say he's most present and at work. Um, the heavens are torn open three times in Mark. Once we'll hear today in the baptism, once at the transfiguration. That's where uh, James and, um, uh, and Peter and John go up on the mountain and they hear uh, the voice of God as the clouds, um, uh, a voice from the clouds. It's probably James Earl Jones or somebody like that that comes out and says, This is my son, my beloved, listen to him second time it's torn and the third time as the heavens are torn as well as the temple curtain the six inch thick curtain which is torn from top to bottom each of those epiphanies each of those ah ahas each of those moments of of a revelation and these are those moments where we're struck and we're apprehended by something that happens to us we didn't do this to ourselves this isn't a product of our of our intelligence. We didn't sort of reason this through. It was thrust in on us, where we could try not to be apprehended by it, and yet God does something else, where he is the author of what he wants to have happen to us, um, where we are faithed, you might say, um, rather than we, quote, have faith, which always gives a sense of, I'm acquiring it, I'm getting it, I did it, I said yes to it, I. I reasoned through it, and I said, I could either do this or I could do that, and I choose this. There's another way to think about all that. And I think that's where more Mark in the rest of the scripture, I'm just using Mark to speak of him, it's saying, no, it's really this place of, <clears throat> like the centurion at the end of uh, the gospel of Mark, and when Jesus breathes his last, um, and he says, surely this man was the son of God. And It was just suddenly, aha. Clear moment of apprehension where he saw true truth. So that's what I hope to do through a lot of illustrations, and that's what the teaser is here with this uh, with this young couple. Um, comments there? A lot of interaction. I always like that. Um, got a little bit of time this morning, so going to smear on some illustrations. Probably one, maybe two a week. So I'm still working through the text. Um, I've been reading uh, a lot recently. It just seems like in different different venues, whether it's al.com or uh, uh, some of the studies that are coming out from Gallup or, or Pew or, or, or lots of these other places or just uh, the other sources that I read, where are just talking about, you know, the spirit of Jesus um, a lot, where he's open-minded and, and Jesus is only, I want to emphasize that, where he's only a teacher, where he's only an example of, of love and Um, compassion um, where he becomes basically a a freedom fighter where he becomes somebody that pursues justice now he's all that of course but that's not all he is there's a word i think that i also want to have if not for the whole series at least today to be able to bring us to that because as we're looking at the gospel the gospel of mark i hope we're looking at part of the question is "Who, who am i and who is jesus and what has he done You know, those are the three big questions of life. I actually think, somebody says, what's the meaning of life? And I'd say, well, there's three questions that life of meaning has to grapple with. And it's those three. Who am I? Who is God? And what has he done? Um, uh, And Mark's going to help us do that. And I ran across a quote again recently. I was thinking about this class. Uh, A Roman Catholic priest named Andrew Greeley said this 15, 20 years ago. Kind of in that vein of... Of wanting to, um, as somebody else said, declaw the lion of Judah. It's one of Jesus's names, and kind of make him into a house cat, um, just kind of domesticate him and make him where Jesus is only nice. Um, you'll hear this a lot that Paul is kind of mean, but Jesus is really nice. I don't know if you've heard that. And it's like, well, you know, we'll read the Gospel of Mark, and and he says some pretty abrupt things. Um, and Andrew Greeley had this to say: Once you domesticate Jesus, he isn't there anymore. Um, The domestic Jesus may be an interesting fellow, a good friend, a loyal companion, a helpful business associate, a guarantor of the justice of your wars. But one thing he certainly is not, the Jesus of the New Testament. Once Jesus comforts your agenda, he's not Jesus anymore. There's an echo of Tim Keller that I always hear hear. here. And he said, Jesus is an equal opportunity offender. (laughs) If you're politically conservative, he's going to seem like a massive liberal. And if you're polit- if you're politically progressive, he's going to seem uh, like an arch-conservative. He never is domesticatable, if you want to call it that. He doesn't fit into the box that we want him to fit in just to make it look like it's our life the way we want it to be. And that's going to be a big thrust of today. So that's kind of all intro. Comments or thoughts? Yeah, Brad. Sure. When, when you think of domestication as Power and control, to your point, of, like trying to fit him in a box. Yep. And we, he becomes subordinate to us. That's right. That's right. So, and in a minute, I'm going to make the point, or at least try to, that we can't not not do that. Yeah. And every day, that's going to be called repentance, where it's like, I'm doing it again. And I can't not not. And you knew that already, Lord, even before time was late, that I can't not not domesticate you and have control and even try to tell you who I think you are. Um, rather than the opposite. And that's going to be the smearing of grace that he comes to us. Don, do you want to say something? Well, just to, to reinforce your comment about um, uh, being all through Mark in this, I've read a bunch of times commentators look at the Mark and say, he's answering two questions. The first half of Mark, up like in the middle of chapter 8, mm-hmm. is who is Jesus? Mm-hmm. And the second half of Mark, from 8 to 15 to yep. they're on. What did he come to do? Yep. That's real helpful for me to stay at 50,000 feet. We're reading all this, yep. but what are the two big questions? Who yep. is Jesus? Yep. And what did he come to yep. do? Yep. Kind of works up to it. It's actually a really interesting literary piece. Um, my religion class at Swanee, Uh first time I read the Gospel of Mark, it was fascinating to see the literary structure of Mark. There's a book that I still remember that I, I recommend um, The Story of Mark. I can't remember the, uh, the author, but it's a purple cover. It's really interesting um, if you're into that kind of thing. Um, and I hope somebody here is. <laughs> Justifies my existence, after all. Um, two statements um, that I'm gonna work to and away from, um, probably a lot over the next six weeks. First one has been said many times in many different ways by a lot of different people. We don't see things the way they actually are. We can't. Um, Harper Lee said it, you um, get the quote right, uh, through the, at the mouth of, um, I don't think it was Atticus Finch, I actually think it was the judge in To Kill a Mockingbird as he was trying to get order in his courtroom. He said, people generally see what they look for and they hear what they listen for. Or somebody else that I know named Anise Nim, not a Christian, just a secular author, one of the first sort of liberated women, a feminist from the late 19th century. Um, I think she was Spanish, um, said people don't see things the way they actually are. People see things the way that they are. Christians would call this original sin. Or that's what I want to call it, is original sin. We can't not not see things the way that I need them to be, or at least the way I think they ought to be. Through my sin-laden eyes and my fleshly self, as it were, um, I don't see things the way they are. What does that mean? That's what I want to unpack. I don't see my children, I don't see my wife, I don't see relationships, I don't see my job, I don't see y'all, I don't see my own existence, my worth... Who I am, why I'm here, what's ultimate, what matters, um, who God is. I don't see any of that correctly. I think of all the things that I do, and I misapply some sort of critical analytical method. We call that idolatry. I think um, that the most important thing in my day is these six emails that I'm supposed to get done. And those become my idol. What does that mean? It means I give a lot of worth to it. My time, my attention, who I am is oriented for that hour around something that's going to be lost in five years. No, it's important. I'm not saying it's important, but I don't see things the way they are. That's just a really basic example. Even getting to our credit card statements or how we orient our lives around, you know, X, Y or Z. Or if I really think that what we always hear that no man or woman on his deathbed said, I wish I spent more time at the office. Um... And yet that doesn't change our behavior. Um, It doesn't seem to do it. And I know that's true, that of course when I'm dying, I'm going to say, where's Maymay? Where's where's somebody that I love? Is there a word for me? Please, is there anything? And yet it doesn't do it. So I can't see things the way they are. Um, Which is why we can also say this. So that's the first statement. Um, We don't see things the way they are actually. We see things the way that we are, or the way that I think they're supposed to be, or whatever else. Which is why also, and this was the title of the class, you have no idea how much God loves you. Why can I say that? Um, Well, because I know myself. And I think what I just said a minute ago, that we don't see things the way they are, is true. It has to be true then that I cannot comprehend or fathom. I can't begin to plumb the depths of God's love and how much He loves you. What it means that while we were yet sinners, Christ died. That with Mark, we would race to the cross and say, this is everything. If this is true, this is everything. In my entire life, our entire life gets reoriented around this one thing rather than all the little things that I do. And it then undomesticates the domesticated Jesus who becomes just someone who I can sprinkle in to say you know, something about what I wish things were. Um, so those are the two ways I want to sort of move back and forth. Again, comments. I'm going to talk a little bit of psychology here and kind of have some fun before we get into Mark um, about these two ideas, that we don't see things the way they are and we have no idea how much God loves us, how much God loves you. Any Anything you want to say? Um, Psychology. What, what's the usefulness there? In about seven minutes, and i will go to this. Um, we'll go to the uh, text. Um, psychology. It's helpful. I think it's very helpful. I think it's very interesting. A lot of my world as a counselor is around that. Um, and psychology has two big names for this. Any psychologists in here? Um, uh, call it a fundamental attribution error. Call it a confirmation bias. Um, and those are both just ways and uh, that the market and and other other. Uh, 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 or just social psychology can can prove this this idea, the one that judge Taylor and, and Tequila Mockingbird knew that that we tend to hear things that we 're listening for and see things that we 're watching for confirmation bias, our fundamental attribution here let 's talk about that first. What is that? Attribution is that part of us where we attribute, so that's the thinking part. You know, all of us have this this thinking that goes on all the time. So we're always trying to say something to ourselves in order to attribute significance or motive or meaning. This is that conversation you're always having in your own mind, and everybody else is having as well. Not nearly about as much about us as much as we think it is, but they're having a lot of conversations in their own mind, trying to attribute. Um, and make sense of, that's the better way to put it, make sense of what's going on. So a fundamental attribution error is when we tend to explain someone else's behavior based upon their internal factors, uh, and we downplay external factors, but then the opposite when it comes to us. I tend to, you tend to, uh, people tend to play up external factors and downplay internal factors. How does this play out in real life? Well, say John in accounting, yeah, got a promotion and you got passed over. Both y'all were up for it. Uh, uh, or he didn't get, let's say he didn't get a promotion. Um, and you, well, you know, John in accounting, he's, he's kind of a dull blade around here. He doesn't really work that hard and, and uh, um, you know, he's always coming in just five, ten minutes late and he's leaving five, six minutes early. He's not really giving at all. So you're imputing these internal motivations that he's really not quite as sharp as, quote, you are Or as other people and so that's why he didn't get the promotion but if you didn't get it what's what do people tend to do um well you know my team has been really they're all over the place and my supervisors are not giving me the feedback that i need in the right way and my my wife is on my case and i'm also trying to coach the softball team at the same time all of my external factors are keeping me because internally i've got the goods i'm enough to make it happen and I didn't get the promotion because of externals. But when John or Bob, whoever I said it was, they got passed over in accounting. It has more to do with internals. That's just a tendency. It happens all the time. Uh, I knew it. Um, uh, so-and-so got caught on tax evasion. Well, you know who his father is, don't you? You know, that sort of thing. But, you know, it's like, well, didn't you like... Well, it was complicated when I sort of didn't report that one piece. Um, you know, that sort of thing. There's tendencies all the time. It goes all the way back to the garden. Uh, where uh, Adam was quick to say, well, this external factor, this woman that you gave me, she gave me the apple, and so I ate it. Um, fundamental attribution error, rather than Adam just saying, me. I did it. I did it. Because I have a weak internal structure, and I'm not enough. Um, uh Example after example after example, um, especially sitting in the car waiting for the light to turn, and somebody, somebody, this isn't me personally or anything, of course not, but you know, it's been a whole second since the light turned green, and they're still sitting there, <laughs> moron, <laughs> imbecile, you know, and so I start, you know, real polite, just want to let them know, you know, but when I do it, give me a break, you don't know my day, it's been so hard, I just wanted a little bit of T and Z, I just need, I need to know what's going on with or something like that. You know, there's always that place. That's a fundamental attribution error. We don't see things the way they actually are. Our confirmation bias, we tend to take the data that we take in um, and use it to confirm the decisions that we've already made. We take the data that we are taking in and use it to confirm the, our pre-existing beliefs. Take a hot issue if you want gun control or something else like that, and so there's all these stories out there. And if you're pro gun control, and then something like Sandy Hook happens, well, you tend to say, "See, this is what happens." But if you're, you know, want you know free free carry, um, uh, and then a story comes out where I don't know, say you know something like Sandy Hook was averted because a teacher was carrying a gun. See, this is why we have to have it, and we tend to then use. The stories to confirm what it is that we want to see. Um, just two ways, two ideas uh, to say that it's as a as a fundamental truth, or at least a strong tendency. Um, we don't see things the way they are. In fact, we cannot. We are vast. We vastly overinflate our ability to be objective. Um, it's not possible. So let me stop there. Comments or thoughts? Um, Places in your own work or life where you could see this. There's some places you can get really kind of sad, or you can get really funny with these sorts of things. Um, I mean, they happen all the time, and if you start looking for them, you can recognize, okay, this is this is what's going on. Um, this is a, a and I don't even know the whole of it, um, but because I, I know I'm wrong somewhere, but at least I got that much awareness. Comments? Gil, yeah. Um, I'm thinking about uh, if we can't see the way they are, rather like we see things the way we want them to be. Does that uh, put a huge complication on our ability to pray? Yes. And pray for Christ. Amen and amen, Claude. Yeah. It does. Because what I'm building up to today is these ahas, what Mark is going to call repentance. Um, this is one reason you might say uh, tongue-in-cheek again has been said a lot of different ways why do we go to church every week because i have to have it because you know maybe i'll get enough fuel for six days so i can pray right and i can pray for the right things really it's every day but six days and then i I need somebody that's the sermon to tell me who i am and what i need because i can't trust myself Um, so it has massive massive implications how we pray, um, for how we read the Bible, uh, for how we interact with each other, um, uh, for you know why we go to church. I mean, lots of ways this plays out, but you're exactly in the right vein. But there is hope. There is going to be this, this, this bang that I want to say is possible, and that's Christ coming to you, Christ coming to me. Somebody named Scott McKnight, just one more illustration, he's um, uh, a seminary. Professor, Maybe he's an undergraduate teacher. Um, and every year he teaches a, a course on the New Testament. And on the opening day of his class on Jesus of Nazareth, he gives out a standard test, a psychological test, divided into two parts. Um, the results are consistent across the board. He's been doing this for 20, 25 years. First part is about Jesus. The students are asked to imagine Jesus' personality with questions like, does he prefer to go his own way rather than act by the rules? So is he a rule follower or sort of a rebel? Or is he a warrior?" Etc., etc., etc. The second part asks the same questions, although not about Jesus, but about themselves. What do you think happens? Uh, are you a warrior? The test is not about right or wrong answers, but it's designed to see how people understand Jesus. Um, introverts tend to think that Jesus is what? More introverted, extroverts, more extroverted, rebels, more rebellious, rule followers, more conservative, etc., and so forth. Here's the punch because across the board, uh, We will hear things like, um, you know, I just hope that we, our church, my family, myself, us, whoever that we is, me, can somehow become more and more like Jesus. That's a hope that we often will hear, isn't it? Something like that. Well, the exact opposite seems to be happening. Without this revelation, without an epiphany, without something called repentance. All this is a big buildup, so we can look at one word. And that's repentance. It's a massively important word that has a lot of confusion around it. Where we're not becoming more and more like Jesus. What's happening? (laughs) Jesus is becoming more and more like us. He's becoming more like you to you. He's becoming more like me to me. He's becoming more like her to her. Um, That's a problem. That's all I want to raise up and say, like, well, where? Kind of what you were saying, Glenn, what? What then are we supposed to do? Like, is there any hope? I mean, how do we? How do I have any confidence in in what I'm doing? Um, here's a transition. My grandfather was uh, He's still. He died many, many years ago, but one of my great heroes in life is my maternal grandfather. My dad's. My mom's dad um, knew him really well. One of the best things that I have still. Somehow he had. I had. He had 13 uh, grandchildren because my mom was the oldest of five children. They all had a bunch of kids. Uh, and we'd always go over there, and, and somebody would sit in Grandpa's chair. Um, and I got Grandpa's chair, still where I sit every morning. I was in there a few hours ago. It's where I sit every morning and have my coffee. I don't know how I got it. I'm just so humbled by it. Anyway, Grandpa, as we called him, Five children, 13 first cousins, um, a Texas cattleman um, of that generation. You know, a handshake is a bond, very relational, old cattle, uh, a lot of honor. Uh, He would know lots of people in that world in Texas. What did that mean? That mean a lot of people really loved him, which means that for Christmas or his birthday, whatever else, he got a lot of trinkets. (laughs) What else do you get your grandpa when he's a man of honor, and power and prestige uh you're getting things like that remember that ball bearing thing that would do this he had like a hundred of those things or those things would tip over and so that's the whole point just talking about my grandfather because i loved him so much but you remember that ball bearing thing i think it was called like newton's cradle or something else like that that's what we're looking for is something because we're here and we need something to come in and go and to turn us over this is is what the Bible is going to call repentance. So I want to give that illustration, the sense of I'm here, I'm static, I'm stationary, I'm stuck. I'm making Jesus into who I am rather than becoming more like him. I don't see things the way they are. I don't even understand how much God loves me. Then something happens. So let's turn to Mark um, and read Mark 1, 1 through 20. Um, Hear the word immediately. It's going to be in there several times. Um, I'm going to introduce John the Baptist. Uh, We're going to get down to the place where Jesus, after he's baptized, and then the heavens are rent open or torn open, and the dove comes down, and we hear the voice of God. This is my beloved, um, whom I love. Listen to him. So the emphasis on the hearing. And then he's going to go out, um, and he's going to announce the time has come. This is going to be the big verse today, verse 115. Um, The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. And he's going to go and call the first disciples. And they're also going to have some moment like that. So Mark 1, 1 through 20. And then we'll um, I'll say a little bit and then we'll look at this as, a, uh, as an example of repentance. Of repentance being a displacement where suddenly I am apprehended by what's truly true and actually actual and really real. That's what I'm trying to get to today. In the the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as it is written in in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That's John the Baptist saying all that. John appeared... um, I'm sorry, that's Isaiah about John the Baptist. And so John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The two are always tied together, somehow repentance and forgiveness. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem are going out to him and being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me, John the Baptist saying this, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. And in those days Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee. We'll talk about that later. And was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. The Spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was there with wild animals, and the angels were ministering to him. Now, verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, just kind of an incidental comment. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled. And the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boats mending the nets. And immediately he called him, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat the hired servants, and followed him. So, gosh, even just climbing into this a little bit. um, uh, Jesus coming from Nazareth of Galilee, I mean, the most backwater forgotten, uh, nowhere place. Um, The presence of God is there, really? God comes from Nazareth? Um, We'll probably go back to that as the series unfolds. And he comes out of the water, the heavens torn open, like I said, the first of three instances, and the Spirit coming upon him like a dove, and the voice from heaven, you are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. And as we also one day, uh, uh, as the narrative unfolds, who are baptized into his death will also be baptized into his resurrection. The words that the Lord, that God speaks to his son Jesus, you are my beloved are the words that he speaks to you and to me. You are my beloved. With you, I am well pleased. I dare say that's a word that somebody here needs to hear just now. You are my beloved. You are mine. And I love you. And I am well pleased with you. And he continues, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee. So here's this political place, you know, John's arrested. He's already causing a rabble. Uh, but Jesus comes in and he says something that nobody knows what it is right now. Proclaiming the gospel of God. Kind of a great phrase. Um, Paul uses it two or th- four times. but Mark uses it twice. Kind of an unusual phrase. The gospel of God. And saying, the time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Here's what I want to say. Um, now... All this, remember Mark, breathless, really likes time. Everything's immediately, 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 straight away, right now, couldn't wait. Um, He's also got this real emphasis right here. Now, the kingdom of God is at hand. It is right here. It is right now. The time is fulfilled. Everything intersects to this moment. Now, something is what's coming up here. Um, Repent. And believe. Now I'm not going to go off on this, but I could, and I like to do it. It's fun. Repent. It's a word, such an important word, and it's massively misunderstood because it came out of. The, I'm not going to do this. I told myself I Came out of the Greek and went to the Latin and had to come into English, and we don't have any idea what all that means. Um, and it was uh, it was translated um, when the Bible started to be translated into Latin in a way that provided a lot of activity, like. Do penance was how this all came out. Repentment. do penance. And we got those like, you know, beat yourself or say six Hail Marys or crawl on your knees going up the um, the steps. And I don't want to pick on all, I mean, just other things too. Or, you know, how about today? Read your Bible every day. Um, give more money. Be nicer. Um, lots of ways to, quote, do repentance. To repent as the verb that I'm supposed to sort of acquire and do myself. Same thing with believe. Believe. Um, What we normally think of believe in a very understandable way, where I I take in data, I make decisions, educations, um, conjugations, and and I decide, yeah, I believe that. That's reasonable, I'm going to do that. Neither of those are at all what's meant here. Again, I don't want to geek out in terms of the words, but there is a fundamental passivity that is buried in both of these words. Um, any way that you stretch it with with uh, with how this is. Repent. Um, again, I'll skip over the history. A good way to describe it is to come to one's senses. It's as if the light goes on. We've got words for this like, aha, epiphany, revelation. And then I was struck, and then suddenly I realized. And then it was like, oh, apprehension is probably the best word that I can think of, where suddenly... Um, something from outside of me pushed itself on me, and like I said earlier, I couldn't even stop it. I was apprehended by a realization of what I did or didn't do, what I said or what I didn't say, and it wasn't something I, I wanted to, to come into awareness of. It just happened. Suddenly, it was like, "That was me," or it even could be a good thing. It's like, "That was me. I got to be a part of that." That's buried in this eye of repentance, and the same thing with believe. It's actually not a verb that has to do with a rational cognitive process it's the verb form of the noun we have for faith which even is a confusing word so it's in other words faith you can almost have this as a verb repent be apprehended and be faithed in the gospel that's the way it comes what's a way to describe this just to kind of move along like a parabola or something like this these two people here it's a great little illustration it's about six minutes long they took a premarital couple. Some people are going to cry, by the way. Um, I think you will. Um, I've shown this a couple of times, and, and, and it's a tearjerker for some. And, and why? Because it stirs something in us. I think there's a little bit of this, especially if you're married. Um, they take a premarital couple. They're probably 28, 29. They're about to be married in a month. And, uh, and what a gift if we could do this. They took some uh, uh, like movie makeup artist or whatever else. And they aged them. And so these 20, let's call them 25-year-olds, 22, 25-year-olds are sitting there, and I can't remember the ages, and they see what they're going to look like when they're 50, when they're 70, and when they're 90. And you watch what happens and the way that they look at each other for the first time. And it's definitely, there's an apprehension, and you can feel the love. I can. We'll see what you think. Um, That something happens, and it gets beneath the noise, below below the dross, uh, and there's a there's a real connection there, that has something to do with repentance. When we hear the word repentance, to be buried with Christ and to be raised in His resurrection, where it's thrust upon me, where it's like this, and suddenly I know that I can pray. Not my will be done, but yours, Lord. Um, I don't even know how to pray, and so I'm just going to I'm just going to groan as Paul would say in Romans 8, because he's overwhelmed with the majestic love of God. And he says, I, I I don't know who I am in Romans 7, and so I'm just going to throw myself in the promises of God and groan uh, as I wait for the revelation to this Son of Man. Um, so let's watch this, and then we'll play with it and see what we want to do. Sorry. <laughs> I'm Christy. Yeah. And we know each other because we're getting married. In a month. I mean, not really nervous about the idea of marriage. I'm just ready for that already. Yeah, uh-huh. not anymore. Now we're a month out. Really. Just ready to. We're not just like. We're on the road show people this like our, yeah, daughter, like our, our kids or like you we know, got our family like this is this is what we'll look like my mom thinks this is the, the coolest thing ever she's <laughs> like but what a treat for us that we because we will probably be gone when you're that age and we'll get to see what you would maybe look like how cool neat and you think about it are you ready yeah let's do it You look like that. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna look just like my mother one day. <laughs> oh my god! Okay, so I need to start using sunscreen. That's that's definitely what are some stereotypes of this We're gonna have a pretty stereotypical life. Well we already have a rescue pit bull when we drive a Subaru. <laughs> <laughs> but have a, well, a couple kiss. of teenagers. Ugh. I'll be around. We'll be on the PTA. Oh, God, that sounds so weird. And take a look. How are you doing? (laughs) Is it in the sun? (laughs) I'm pretty happy with the way that she looks, Yeah. You look a lot older than I thought you were. <laughs> I look like my grandma. <laughs> oh my! God. I did not age well. I hope I'm taking better care of her. Why are you getting so emotional? I don't know. I can't help but think about what the potential last fifty years were. Yeah. Like, to to see her look like this makes me just think of where we have gone to be next to each other at at looking like this. Mm. What would have happened in between? Well, I have kids and grandkids and so many stories. Yeah. And we'll be forgetting things. So many things. (laughs) Well, to take care of each other. I don't know, it's just a really kind of affecting Thing, to see someone that you've known since you were I don't know, 19, look well, in their 70s, and imagine what life would be like then. <laughs> <laughs> seventy-five. You, know, you do, but <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, <laughs> an incredible thing to see. It's a pretty good head of hair. I look pretty darn good. <laughs> yeah. When I smile, I look like a very jolly old man. When I don't smile, I look like a staring asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. No. <laughs> <laughs> I'll still try. You probably did. I'll still try. What the last word? Last words? That's really intense. I don't know. I just, I guess I would always just want to make sure he knew how much I loved him, and you know how important he been to me. He's made me a better person. There's so many things that I couldn't be without you, and will never be without. You we should write these down because we're writing our own vows. You have a mother. <laughs> <laughs> there's some like strange like comforting feeling seeing in this way it's just, like I don't know like, especially being about to get married and embarking on all of that it's like I just I couldn't be more sure that this is what I want <laughs> <laughs> So I know we're out of time. I um, just wanted to plant that as we move through this series. Confusing word, repentance, but very... Quite, oh, it takes a minute. Um, takes a while. Um, confusing word, but I think what we saw there where for a moment the blinders were off the noise was reduced. Whatever it was that stops us from being able to see things the way they actually are, including how much God loves you or what life here even means, there's these moments that it's cleared out. And that's what the word repent means. And that's going to be the word that is brought forward again and again and again. Repent and believe. And it's not a sense of, oh, I've got to try harder, i got to do more, i got to be more. Remember that internal where we don't have it? We don't have it. We think we do. We blame it here, but all that kind—it's con- not that. It is that word from the outside—an invitation. Repent and be faithed. You know, let me clear things out and place this in you as a gift, so that no one may boast. And that's why he called the disciples, and they left their nets, they left their dad, and they said yes, because there was something. We don't know what it was, but something cleared out, and they saw, and they said. I will follow you. I will do that. So that's where we're headed. Let me pray. Lord, correct me where I'm wrong, but where you would want a word strengthened, um, clear the noise, and uh, uh, as Isaiah said, lower the mountains and raise the valleys and make straight a highway to you so that we would see you clearly. More than that, Lord, so we'd be apprehended by you and how much you love us and how, how it changes everything. Don't let us make you in our image Um, we don't want to grow Jesus to be more and more like us. Lord, let it be the opposite. Um, Give us that humility to to be loved by you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you all. See you next week. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting,